Well, it's been a delight to be with you and meet so many of you new faces. You've been a pretty good audience. I haven't seen uh, too many sleepy eyes. And uh, thank you for listening and for some of your conversations. But thank you, Pastor Mitch, for inviting me here. And it's a privilege to spend time with you. I've known Pastor Mitch for a long, long time. And I often think in terms of my own pastoral ministry that I don't think I would be in the ministry if I didn't have friends. And friends have been a wonderful comfort to me and counsel to me. And Pastor Mitch and I have developed a friendship as well over many years. I'm going to turn your attention to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Just read one verse here. Verse 11, Exodus 33, verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Let's again go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we again come to you in the name of your dear son, that name that is above every other name. We thank you for him. We thank you for his perfect life. We Thank you for his substitutionary death. We thank you that he conquered the grave and now intercedes on our behalf. And we can be assured that as we pray even for ourselves, he is always praying for us. And so we pray, Lord, even tonight that you would show us your mercy and your grace, give us ears to hear, and more importantly, give us hearts to obey We want to be those men and women, boys and girls, who build their house upon rock and not upon sand. And so we again pray, Lord, that you would show yourself to be, as we believe you are, the prayer-hearing and prayer-answering God. And we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. They say that architecture often reflects the values of a society And there used to be a time in American architecture where churches were the biggest buildings on the block. And today you have, what, fitness clubs, sports coliseums, and malls. Even our homes are changing in terms of architectural design. In the early 1900s, you had large front porches with easy access to the front door. It was something of an invite to the rest of the folk in the neighborhood. But that's also changed. Our homes, they say, at least one person thinks they look more like castles. The front lawn is the castle moat, the drawbridge, the driveway. And then you have that automatic garage door where the knight in armor passes through with his electronic secret code. And once inside, he removes his armor attends to his heart and hearth until daybreak, where he assumes the executive ornament, briefcase in hand, mounts his steed, whether it's a bronco or mustang, presses the button, and he rides off to war. That's the architecture of our day. Sort of tells you what our values are. Shopping malls, they reflect the values of money and things. Big sports coliseums 
fun and entertainment. Today's homes perhaps reflect more of the modern values of individualism, isolation, and privatization. And what is being lost in the midst of the changing value system is relationships and friendships. The former U.S. general said the most common illness today is not cancer or heart disease, but loneliness. Isolation can kill you. Proverbs 18.1 gives us a warning. When a man isolates himself, he seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound counsel. And the wisdom of Proverbs not only warns us about sinful isolation, but wonderfully extols family and also friendship relationships. We were made for people. We were made for friendship. And when we talk about friendship, we are not talking about the one-dimensional friendship or the stage-of-life friendship or the Facebook friendship. No, we are talking about spiritual, gospel, or covenant friendships. Friendships that have been shaped by Jesus Christ and his gospel, where love is the great essential, as it should be in all our relationships. But there's something more in terms of what I would call the foundational blocks of a true friendship. And I found it kind of hard to come up with one word, so I'm going to kind of use several words to to give you the perspective that might be helpful, the word transparency, intimacy, honesty, and vulnerability. Friends are honest and open with one another. Friends know not just about each other, but they know each other. Now, I've tried in each of these sessions in terms of dealing with the matter of friendship to show you that the Bible is sufficient to guide us and shape our thinking about friendship. And there's no other book in the world that better teaches us about God and about ourselves and about relationships and friendships. And deep friendships require intimacy and transparency of soul. Let me show you that from the Word of God. Number one, in terms of outline... Friendship, intimacy, and transparency proven. That's the first point. Second point, friendship, intimacy, and transparency qualified. And then thirdly, friendship, intimacy, and transparency cultivated. So that's where we want to go this evening using those three major perspectives. Number one, friendship, intimacy, transparency proven. I'm sure that all of us have, perhaps we used to have, at least some of us back in those earlier days growing up, a photograph of a friend in our wallets. Maybe now you have it on your iPhone, maybe Facebook, maybe a school yearbook. And the Bible, in some respects, is like a photo album. It gives us pictures of friends. We could start with the very first friendship, Adam and Eve. It's more than a friendship. But as I said this morning, it's not less than a friendship. It's a wife-husband friendship. Husbands and wives should be the best of friends. And we have a wonderful camera shot 
In Genesis chapter 2, 25, the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Now remember, God created only one human first. Adam was made first by God. He's God's first friend. And then he custom makes for the man a woman, equal but made in the image of God, not identical, one man and one woman. And she's especially made for the man. She is a fit answering to the needs of a man, a beautiful design by God for marriage. It's about intimacy and transparency. And the very word naked points to the sexual dimension of intimacy, but it also captures transparency. What's clear is this, they were not hiding from one another. They were perfect, free from shame, perfect intimacy, perfect closeness, and nakedness without fear and without guilt. Pastor Al Dunn in a book on marriage describes it this way. It was unified intimacy with each other and with God. What a beautiful picture. We recently got uh, photographs taken of the elders and the uh, deacons of our church for our website. And I spoke to the photographer, and he made it clear that he would have to do a lot of touch-up. In Genesis 2, there's no touch-up. Perfect picture. No blemishes. No warts. It was very good. It couldn't have been better. But we all know that this perfect relationship doesn't exist anymore. There's no perfect marriage, and there's no perfect friendship. And as Christians, we know why. Very simple answer, it's because of sin. The fall of our first parents, Genesis 3, impacts our relationships every day. Satan, the liar comes on the scene, he's able to manipulate and deceive, and the first friendship and marriage is radically altered. The two people, think of it, Adam and Eve, who would get up in the morning, we don't know how long they enjoyed each other in that state of perfection, but you can only imagine they would get up in the morning, see each other, run toward each other with excitement and thrill, hold each other, kiss each other. Now they're running from God and from each other. The beautiful openness and transparency and honesty is substituted for dishonesty, blame-shifting, and fear. Suddenly, the blinds go down, and they begin to hide from each other with fig tree or fig leaf covering. There's been a sad loss of intimacy and transparency. And we all suffer. The Bible says we've all sinned in Adam. And that explains, that explains why all human relationships to some degree are disconnected, introverted, self-focused, seared, and marred 
by alienation and isolation. It goes back to the fall. Adam and Eve have experienced something of a divorce from God and from each other. But thankfully, mercifully, God doesn't let them stay in that tragic state, that fugitive status. He comes to the rescue. There's a gospel of hope, and we have that first gospel note in Genesis 3.15, the promise that God will send a conqueror, a seed of the woman, who will bring a bruise to the head of the serpent. God will savage, salvage his creation, and Adam and Eve will be able to live in this world. They will be able to live together. They will be able to enjoy their marriage and have an intimacy of some level. And we know that, don't we? Because they had children. But every living person on planet Earth will struggle when it comes to honesty, intimacy, and transparency. And God even gives Adam and Eve clothing to remind them of that. It will somewhat mitigate the shame factor. They will never be completely naked and unashamed in the presence of God or each other. But thankfully, again, that's not the end of the story. We soon get glimpses, if you read on through your Bible, glimpses of reconciliation in the Bible on both the vertical and horizontal. In the very first picture, you could say, the next photo in this photo album found in our Bibles is a picture of a man named Enoch, and he walks with God. That, that's, that, that's the first picture of intimacy. And then we know the story, Abraham, he's actually called the, the friend of God twice in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. God is a befriending God. And the next person in your Bible who is a part of this photo album is a man by the name of Moses. And we go back to that text I read earlier, Exodus 33, verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And notice the special language. Face to face. That, that face to face idiom is an expression of intimacy. Here Moses is contrasted with the other prophets of God. Moses is directly now being communicated by God. God is not speaking to Moses like the other prophets by visions and dreams, but face to face. And both Abraham and Moses now are called friends. They're talking to God. There's an openness. There's a candor. Both men are able to share their feelings and their griefs and their sorrows. They can go to God in prayer and you find Abraham doing that, interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you find Moses as well, interceding on behalf of rebellious Israel, that golden cow incident. But God sees their tears. God hears their groans. God hears their burdens. They are coming to God in prayer. There's accessibility and transparency before God. And when you turn to the Psalms, It's almost like a tsunami. 
of emotion where men come to God and talk to him about their sorrows and their griefs, their joys, their heartaches, their trials, their desires. Friends share. Friends share their burdens, they share their joys, they share their fears. Now some have suggested that there's a difference between men and women when it comes to friendships. Women major on face-to-face conversations. Men tend to do it shoulder-to-shoulder. Men prefer doing things together, fishing, hunting, basketball, golfing. Those are shoulder-to-shoulder activities that can wonderfully facilitate a depth of conversation. But more men appear to struggle when it comes to face-to-face friendships. I'm not sure of all the reasons. I have my suspicions. I do think that we can't ignore the cultural winds that are blowing. Aristotle said, when does a fish know it's wet? Well, it doesn't. A fish doesn't know it's wet because it's always wet. And, and do we know, do we really know how much we have conformed ourselves to the world? I don't think we do. The television and movie persona of manly strength has shaped a generation of men, many generations. The homosexual aggressive agenda has kept men at a distance to some degree and afraid of any kind of physical intimacy. But if we let the Bible shape our thinking, we have to go in in a different direction, don't we? We certainly can't adopt the, the John Wayne or the Jason Bourne approach. Think of David and Jonathan. We certainly see men who were were men who who were soldiers, who yet were very comfortable hugging one another, kissing one another, which was consistent with their manliness. Nothing wimpy. They stood on battlefields together. They, They demonstrated the highest level of manly courage. Both men shared their fears, their secrets, their sorrows, their burdens. Jonathan tells David that his father wants to kill him. That must have been hard to tell his friend David. My dad's gone rogue. David unburdens his soul to Jonathan, 1 Samuel 21, and even some of those scriptures that Pastor Mitch read for us. He tells David, or tells Jonathan, very honestly, is the problem with my dad, your dad, is, is it me? Is it me? Is it my iniquity? Is this what's called this, caused this alienation? Is it my sin? We find them weeping. We find them together, again, kissing one another in 1 Samuel 20, verse 40. 
As I said earlier, the Bible gives us a photo album of friends. It begins with God. Abraham and Moses are friends of God. Open face transparency, but there's a horizontal friendship like David and Jonathan. It's marked by openness and transparency. And when we turn to the New Testament, think of the friendship that Jesus had with his disciple friends. Three times. If you go to John chapter 15, that word friend, as I pointed out earlier this morning, is, is used four times here, three times, and the word love is four times. Notice John 15, verse 13, 14, 15. Jesus highlights his sacrificial love. Also, notice here, he highlights his transparency with his friends. John 15, verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Why? For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is saying, I I pulled back the veil because you're my friends. And that upper room discourse, if you read it from John 13 right to the end, you'll see that it's suffused with openness and mutual sharing. Jesus knows their hearts are troubled, and they know that Jesus' heart is troubled. We see even a a physical expression of intimacy. One of his disciple friends has his head snuggled against the chest of Jesus. John 13, verse 23, and and one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was leaning on Jesus' bosom. We see Jesus wasn't afraid to express his friendship love in a tangible, physical way. And neither should we. I grew up in a home that was very much like a Christian home. But there was one, I thought, great deficiency. I never heard my mom and dad say to me, I love you. And I never received a hug from my father that I can remember or a kiss. I was determined by the grace of God that my son would not have that kind of relationship with his father. I almost programmed him from birth to say, I love you, Dad, and I love you, son. When Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane, there's even a greater transparency, isn't there? The last evening of his life, he brings Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and begins to tell them how deeply distressed he is. He said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And then he lets them know He needs their support. Stay here. Watch with me. So this is a given, isn't it? A quality, a high quality of friendship, a spiritual friendship 
is marked by real transparency or deep intimacy. That's the very first principle. Friendship, transparency, and intimacy proven. Secondly, friendship, transparency, and intimacy qualified. Friendship, transparency, and intimacy qualified. Transparency and intimacy is is a good thing. But like any good thing, it, it needs to be handled with care. The same Bible that warns us about not hiding your hearts also warns us about guarding the heart and guarding the tongue. Transparency doesn't mean I tell my friends everything. If you do that, you probably won't have any friends. Every time we have one of those proud thoughts, every time we have one of those lustful thoughts, it would be better part of wisdom not to share those thoughts with your friends. That's between you and God. But when those sins break out in words, And in actions, that's where you need to tell your friend or to ask your friend for help. Maybe you need accountability, and a good accountability is often embedded in a friendship. But even here, we have to be careful. We always have to be light and salt in all our relationships. And the world we live in is a dark world and loves to brag about the worst of evils. The internet has given us all kinds of avenues to broadcast our thoughts and our feelings. Certain talk shows, tell-all books, blogs, Twitters, accounts have given people the opportunity to vent, to gossip, and slander. Today's transparency is not judicious transparency, but it's unfiltered transparency. It's out-of-control transparency. It's not self-controlled. The Bible warns of the wagging tongue. The Bible speaks of the babbling fool, Proverbs 10. The fool proclaims his folly, Proverbs 12. A fool spouts his folly, Proverbs 15. And fools don't make good friends. Whereas a prudent man, listen to what, this, what the Bible says, a prudent man conceals knowledge, Proverbs 12, 23. A wise man restrains his lips, Proverbs 10, verse 19. And what kind of restraint, here's the question, what kind of restraint should be upon our tongues, even upon our hearts, so that our transparency is not a tell-all transparency? I'll give you two. There might be more. Two restraints. The restraint of God's precepts, God's commands, that's the first one, and the restraints of biblical love. Okay, we'll deal with two of those. The restraint of God's precepts and God's commands. Certain kinds of speech are forbidden by God's commands. Gossip, Proverbs 26, warns of the dainty morsel, slander. Ephesians 4.29 gives us that rather comprehensive mandate. Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. And that injunction covers the whole spectrum of sinful talk. The word that Paul uses there is actually used to describe spoiled fish. Something's rotten. 
something diseased. It was a sin of self-praise. Proverbs 20. Let another man praise you and not your own lips. Sometimes proud people, selfish people, lonely people have not cultivated friendships because they talk too much about themselves. They monopolize conversations. The second qualification, as I said, that comes to openness and transparency is the principle of love. We are to speak the truth, but we are to speak the truth in love. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes love will prevent us from speaking openly and transparently. Jesus could say to his disciples, there's many things I'd love to tell you, but you're not yet ready. That's what he said. There's many things I would like to tell you, but you are not able. John 16, verse 12. You can't bear them now. What restrained Jesus from communicating on a deeper level to his disciples. He sensitized themselves to them. He was showing love and concern for them. Sometimes our transparency can be selfish, can it? We simply want to get it off our chest. But if we really are thinking about the other person and how it might affect them, maybe it might be better just not to say anything. It was our Lord's considerate love that restrained his tongue. He wanted to tell them, but he knew they were not able. They were not in the best frame of mind. We see something similar, don't we, with Asaph in Psalm 73. He's having a big spiritual struggle himself. He's beginning to have some negative thoughts about God and God's ways. The man's become somewhat disaffected towards God. Plus, he's become envious of the wicked. He says, I've almost, I almost fell. And yet he says, I have to restrain my lips from saying what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, because I don't want to betray the next generation. He doesn't want to be a stumbling block to God's people. So what does he do? He puts his innermost thoughts and struggles and feelings under lock and key. You see, it's not always wise to share openly and candidly. The Bible encourages a deep transparency, but it needs to be qualified by what I would call a judicious transparency. That word judicious. What have we seen in our study thus far? We have seen that there's a legitimate place for friendship Transparency or intimacy proven from several snapshots of friendships found in our Bible. Secondly, we've seen that we have to qualify friendship, transparency, and intimacy. We have to do that because of the restraint of God's commands and the restraint of self-denying love. But now thirdly, and finally, let's consider this, the ways, the ways, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but the way, some of the ways to facilitate, facilitate, cultivate friendship, transparency, and intimacy. I have six practical counsels. 
Can, can you stay awake for this? Six practical counsels. Someone has likened friendship to snorkeling. You're on the surface. We, we want to do some deep, deep diving beneath the surface. You want to have that kind of a friendship, deep sea diving friendships, not just snorkeling friendships. That's what we should be striving for, a depth of friendship, not a breadth, a depth of friendship. So how do you have those friendships? How do you go deeper with people, a greater transparency? Practical counsel number one, build trust. Build trust. A good friendship is built upon trust. And the more you trust a person, the more you are willing to share. And we build trust by being men, women of integrity. It comes back to that matter of faithfulness. A faithful man who can find they are rare. But people who have the deepest of friendships People are people who you can trust. They keep their promises. They speak the truth. They have a high degree of consistency as opposed to hypocrisy. They mean what they say. They live what they believe. To grow in transparency and intimacy with your friend, you're going to have to be a person they can trust. Second practical counsel, to help cultivate a friendship distinguished by transparency and honesty, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Be a wise friend, not a foolish friend. To navigate a friendship, a long-term friendship requires wisdom. For good reason, the book of Proverbs, which puts such a a stress upon friendship, also puts a great emphasis and stress upon wisdom. Wisdom in the Bible, you should know this, I think I mentioned it in one of the earlier sessions, has to do with more than IQ. You could be the smartest kid on the university campus, passing all of your exams A+, but still be a fool. But if you take to heart the wisdom of Proverbs or the wisdom of your Bible you will be a wise friend. Be a wise man. Be a wise woman. Build trust. Seek wisdom. Third, in terms of developing a deeper intimacy and transparency within your friendships, learn to ask questions. Proverbs 20, verse 5. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. One way to draw it out is by asking good questions. Fear and pride can keep people locked, imprisoned, in dungeons of isolation. They're afraid. Sometimes it's their pride. There's some people who don't even know how to get out of that prison. Think of 
your first parent, Adam, your first mother, Eve. God pursues them with questions. Remember, Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Remember Jonah, sulking in anger after he'd lost that shade of the gird tree, and he's got some problems with God, and God doesn't let Jonah stew and go deeper into himself. God begins to ask Job some questions. Do you have a right to be angry? If you read the Gospels, Jesus asks more questions than anybody else. Questions are like fishing lines and hooks to pull that friend of yours out of that prison house, that house of fear. Maybe, maybe he or she's an introvert and has a hard time even communicating their own feelings and thoughts. Some people have a hundred deadbolts inside their heart. How do you get them to open up? How do you get them to share? How do you befriend them? Well, here's one way. Ask questions. Build trust. Seek wisdom. Ask questions. Another way to develop intimacy and transparency in your friendships Listen well. Listen well. When you think of Proverbs, again, you think of the tongue. Proverbs speaks a lot about the tongue. That's a key factor in terms of friendships. You have to make good use of your tongue, but don't don't forget the ear. One commandment that runs through the book of Proverbs, beginning right in chapter 1, is listen, 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 20 times. The very last chapter... The wise mother says, my son, listen, my son of my womb, listen, listen, my son. There's no better book in the Bible that helps us to make better use of our tongues, and there's no better book in the Bible to help us make better use of our ears than the book of Proverbs. And generally speaking, women are better listeners than men. That's why women typically have more friends than men. I think most men are deficient when it comes to listening. I think it goes back to the fall. Adam was given a stewardship of words, right? He was to be a talker. He was to communicate truth to his wife and be a teacher. Adam was to listen, make good use of his ears as well, right? He had to listen to what God said. He had to communicate that. But Adam, if you follow the the scene and follow the development of what takes place in Eden in terms of his fall, Adam 
didn't speak when he was supposed to speak. Eve's doing all the talking with the devil. Something wrong there. And Adam didn't listen the way he should have been listening. He, he, he didn't listen to God. And instead of listening to God, he listens to his wife Eve and eats the forbidden fruit. Adam drops the ball. Adam drops the ball when it comes to his words and when it comes to his ears. And when it comes to listening, you, you don't simply listen to words. You, you listen with the inner man. You listen, you listen with your mind. You listen with your emotions. The proverb says, make your ear attentive. Incline your ear. James says, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. And we can drop balls, can't we? All of us can drop balls when it comes to our tongues and to our ears. We fail to listen. We fail to communicate. And we fail to talk lovingly, truthfully, transparently, and to listen empathetically. The depth of friendships, the transparency, will depend upon the use of our tongues and the use of our ears. Fifth counsel. See, I didn't come here to make friends. Fifth counsel, fight your sin. Fight your sin. We are to be committed to the mortification of sin, Romans 8. By the Spirit of God, we put to death, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. What keeps us from being transparent? Fear is a biggie. The best way to fight fear is with faith. Another grace weapon is love. Love casts out fear. Another sin that keeps us from being open and honest is our pride. And pride doesn't want to admit weakness. Pride doesn't want to admit sin. Pride doesn't want to admit our failures. Think of the, the proud Pharisees. that They were opaque. They were like steel vaults. It didn't seem to matter how many times Jesus pressed their consciences, how many times he brought woes in terms of their hypocrisy that never humbled them. They weren't listening. And think of that parable of Pharisee and the publican, Luke chapter 18. The publican, he gets honest with God, be merciful to me, the sinner. But the Pharisee, I mean, he comes strutting into that temple like a peacock, preening his feathers, proud of his knowledge, proud of his religious performance. He gives a soliloquy, a soliloquy. Not, he's not praying. He's talking mostly about himself. He's not open. He's not transparent with God. And pride is so blinding. 
We, we all recognize it when we see it in other people. But we don't recognize it when we see it in ourselves. Pastor Mitch Lutz said something years ago. I've quoted him several times. He said, pride's like bad breath. You don't know you have bad breath, do you? Maybe you should ask your friend, do I have bad breath? Do you view me as a proud person? Or a humble person? The biggest fight we fight as Christians takes place on the turf of our own hearts. Romans 7 is a good place to go to remind ourselves that we have to fight our sin. Build trust. Seek wisdom. Ask questions. Listen well. Fight sin. And then in the sixth place, I would put it this way, know God, talk to God, listen to God. Know God, talk to God, listen to God. Develop a transparency with God. I really think that's one of the big reasons why the Psalms are in our Bibles. It's it's to get us to be honest and transparent with God. You, you, you read through the Psalms, they cover the spectrum of emotion, joy, delight, grief, sorrow, pain. We can hear them struggling with their sins, with their fears, with their questions. They are being transparent with God. And to be transparent with people, we have to learn how to be transparent with God. That's where it starts. Your relationship with God, listen, will determine your relationship with people. Your relationship with Christ will determine your relationship with people. If you want friends, if you want a depth of friendship, you have to know Christ. You have to know God. You have to go deep with Christ. You have to talk to Christ. You have to listen to God. That's a way to learn transparency. We have to prioritize our relationship with God to be a good friend. And ask God to help you to be a good friend. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we again bow in your presence and ask you to help us. We confess, Lord, that we do not always live the way we ought to live. We fall short of your glory. and We ask you again to forgive us for our sins and to wash us and cleanse us from our sins and help us, Lord, again to learn how to develop friendships, these gospel friendships that will help us and help others. And we do ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.